0: Hi, this is Michael Glabicki of Rusted Root, and you're listening to the Iron City Rocks podcast.
1: Episode 341 of the Iron City Rocks Podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 341, we have three special guests for you. Um, all three bands, I think, sort of defy classification. It's the one thing they have in common is they're not easy to classify. Uh, we have joining us, a uh, returning from one of our very first episodes, we have Michael Globicki of the band Rusted Root. Uh, to talk about what the band has going on. Also, we want to introduce you to uh, Pete RG, a fascinating guy to talk to. He's got a show coming up in Pittsburgh in the month of June. And also another new band, Lost Leaders, who will be doing a show at Mr. Smalls in Pittsburgh as well. So, we're going to start off with Michael Klebicki of Rusted Roots, certainly no stranger to anybody from Western Pennsylvania. Had a chance to catch up with him. They're going to be doing a show on June 23rd at Station Square at the Hard Rock Cafe. So we wanted to uh, just kind of touch base with Michael, see what's going on with the band, anything new on the, the Rusted Root front. And uh, so I'm going to play you a little classic Rusted Root and we'll get into that interview. Welcome back to the show after I believe it's been eight years since you did the show, Michael. Michael Glubicki of Rusted Root. How are you doing today? Doing great, man. Wonderful. Hey, Thanks you got, for having me. It's my pleasure. You've uh, always been a, a great hometown band, for lack of a better term. I hate to use the word uh, you know, local band because it's certainly not a local band, but um, another guy from Pittsburgh. Uh, it has been great to watch your career uh, for the last 20 plus years. Um, you guys are going to be doing a show at Station Square in June on, the, I believe, the 23rd. Um wanted to kind of see what's going on with the band. I know it's been a couple of years since you guys have done a studio album, so I just wanted to kind of touch base and see what's going on in the world of Rusted Root.
0: Yeah, man, a uh, little bit of everything. We're working on, um, on a new record right now and um, doing it here in Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm working on a solo record and... Um, Working with some other artists too, producing and stuff and just a lot going on all, all around but um you know throughout it all we, we keep touring and, and keeping the live energy going
1: now for for a band such as yourself i mean is doing a new studio album kind of at the the forefront really in the in the economics obviously the, the business has changed dramatically since you know you're kind of your debut smash album um is it still kind of paramount to have a new record out to tour on or is that kind of you know we'll do it when we can when we can afford to, to do one
0: um not so much like an album but uh having singles out helps um an album's great you know but uh i think nowadays it's a little bit better to sort of release singles slowly and then build it up to a record
1: Right yeah, I mean it, it seems you know as band such as yourself, I'm sure with the catalog you have, it's hard to introduce a tremendous amount of new material into a set list. so the signals you know you can kind of ease those in and in and out as you see fit. Um, do you do a lot of writing yourself or do you are kind of a collaborative writer yourself?
0: Um, I do most of it myself. I um, well, yeah, I mean pretty much all of it, but uh, every once in a while there'll be something that just sort of happens. Spontaneously, like in soundcheck or something mm-hmm. um, Yeah, we all kind of write at that point But uh, for the most part, I, I pretty much uh, am a loner when I do it
1: Now, when you listen to your albums that have gone back And listen to, you know, kind of the catalog of albums there's a lot of, I guess you would call it orchestration, you know, with the different instruments and, and the drumming and things like that. I mean, do you kind of lay all that out with the drum machine or you just kind of work with a click track and then, you know, drummers come in and do what they do and other musicians do what they do? Or how do you kind of craft the parts?
0: Well, it used to be... Um, I would come in with an idea for for sort of the energy of the parts and, and then I would just sort of let the... Um, the drummer or the bass player kind of work it out, and um, and I, I would just kind of like sit back and just kind of say yes or no, you know. And um, but you know, always with sort of like how I wanted it to kind of feel mm-hmm. um, in the end. But uh, now I'm kind of writing out parts more, at least for a sort of a blueprint for mm-hmm. the band, and um, and kind of taking it into areas where I know people wouldn't normally go, but kind of like I, I kind of know that they can you know so yeah. um so kind of doing that and then then bring it to the band and seeing seeing if they can take it to the next level from there
1: mm-hmm. now is that something you enjoy doing or is that something you just kind of you hear it a certain way you want it to sound a certain way and you know over your experience you've learned that works better
0: um yeah I mean I, I think I think I, I yeah I really enjoy doing it um I think, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's more it's more that uh, um, that I feel like I have something that's that's new and fresh for now. Uh, that would that wouldn't be there if if we all got together and just started pounding out the music, you know. Um, so I kind I kind of just like to do that now and, and, and bring it to the band and and take us in, in sort of like. A, like I said, in like a new direction for, right. for everybody.
1: Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, how, um, as far as touring, I mean, you guys have always had kind of a unique sound. I mean, do do your audiences tend to, You, I don't know really what to say, how do I say this, but do they kind of come from the jam band sort of audiences, or how do you, or, you know, the Dave Matthews sort of audiences, or where, where do you, you feel like you kind of have a distinct audience?
0: Um, I guess maybe there's m- more of that going on uh, with our fans, uh, sort of the jam band mm. kind of thing, but not really. I mean, we're definitely not in that crowd. Right. Um, like if, like if um, we're not, we're not, we're not at the top of the list of, of jam bands. <laughs> sure. Like we can we, we kind of visit there every once in a while, and, and people, uh, the people accept us in that realm, but. Mm. For the most part we we have like all kinds of people it's weird you know like we're one of those bands that um is sort of timeless in, in a sense and our music kind of brings people out of um all different areas and uh you know a lot of a lot of old folks from back in the 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. um till you know now we've got uh 9 and 10 year olds coming out and all the way up to college, and college kids are coming out, and a lot of, a lot of those those kids have heard us from uh, movie soundtracks and stuff, so they they come, uh, you know, with, a, with an interesting perspective. And then, um, yeah, I mean, everybody in between, you know, it's 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 wild, you know, it's 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 interesting how our, our, our audience has developed and and evolved and kind of matured along with us. You know, it's it's right. pretty wild to watch.
1: Yeah, I remember when I first discovered the band, this was, you know, 93-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, and I was a college student, and, and, you know, you guys were like kind of the quintessential sort of what you expected to listen to in college, but you weren't a band that I would say, okay, if I went into, you know, to, to date myself, the National Record Mart, and found you in a bin, I don't know if I would put you in rock or in world music or where the heck I would put your CD, you know, other than, you know, thankfully at the time you guys were huge and it was right there in the front, but, um it was a band that always seemed to defy classifications and that uh, you mentioned yeah I, kinda, I, I
0: right. like it like that you know I don't um, I don't know I, it's it's very it's very free uh, on one level to be able to do whatever it is I want to do and, and, and make it happen and, mm-hmm. and it fits <laughs> you know just as long as it's um, you know got the right Intent behind it I, You know I, I think You know That we're A band that Is Is centered In sort of The healing Part of music And mm-hmm. And people come out For that reason They like to be Uplifted And, and uh, Let their emotions out All different types Of emotions But in the end Feel that they they be Pretty Pretty uplifted And, and uh, Changed So yeah. I think that's, that's sort of The consistent thing With our music The, the Specific sounds Are sort
1: of secondary to that yeah that was sort of a spiritual nature to the, to the vibe of the music um, you mentioned uh, an audience you've kind of gained through you know the use of your music and films if you were wound to you know 1990 whatever it was when you all kind of got together and pen send mail my way did you ever in your wildest dreams even after you had it you know in the bag and recorded dream it would take the legs that it did you know even to this point in 2017 it seems like you're in commercials constantly with it
0: yeah I kind of think um, most of us did and I think most of us felt that way in the band um, just seeing the, the effect that it had live I think um, you know by that, by that time we would already been playing it out you know a few years and um, so you know, I, I, I think, you know, we believed in, in, in that part of it I, you know, I didn't see exactly how it was going to play out, obviously But mm. um, but you knew it was special And you knew it was
1: timeless You, know, and you knew it was going to be around Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know It never floors me, you know An Enterprise commercial or a movie soundtrack or something You know, it's kind of almost up there with Katrina and the Waves For a song that sneaks into everything now And that's, you know, got to be <laughs> quite gratifying as a songwriter, I'm sure um, yeah, it shows how much I know. When I, I remember when I listened to the album, I thought "Martyr" was the best song, on the album and would be the one that would be, you know, that was going to be the big single. And I kind of missed. That. <laughs> yeah,
0: to, I thought so too. I don't think uh, I, I think what happened was is that the radio or the the record company thought that was too um, it wouldn't take off on radio because they're at, at the specific time. Mm-hmm. Radio certain radio stations wouldn't play anything too Latin yeah, uh, because they, they would fear that the consumer would go to the station and hear it and then go, oh that's a Latin st- station, they're going to come mm-hmm. in singing in Spanish, I don't know Spanish so I'm going right. to move on so <laughs> it was a weird thought at the time, I was like hmm, okay, Cause I, th- I thought too, I thought Martyr and, and like, even Ecstasy I thought
1: were going to be huge Yeah, yeah that's, um, it's interesting the thought that goes into that, I mean when, when you when you send the album to, this, to the record company at that point, and especially back in then when the record companies were the purse strings and, and sort of the bank, I guess for lack of a better term uh, did you get a lot of say as, as kind of a new band as to far as you know, we want these three songs to be kind of our singles or, or do you just kind of give it to them they're going to do what they're going to do and you show up for a video shoot when they tell you to I mean, is it what was that like at that point in your career? um... Yeah, I, I didn't really know.
0: We didn't really know anything, so uh, we didn't have much <laughs> say in it all. Right. Other than, you know, just keep on it because we knew it would work mm-hmm. if they, you know, kept trying. Um, this is right before the record companies really started turning real bad, you know, um, where if you didn't, you know, if they, if, they, if they would put out a band single, um, like they give it two weeks and then just like trash the whole record you know yeah <laughs> this is this is like right before that moment so we snuck in there at, at the right time and so they worked our they worked us and my way i think for seven months um which was which was great and it worked and and uh that's the way it, it should have always been and kept going but it, you know for some reason the industry changed
1: yeah it is it's a lot you know i look at a lot of bands that kind of came before you guys you know and there was the whole hair metal thing and and the music scene took such a dramatic change in the 92 93 with you know the seattle sound um but you guys sort of like i said i think the fact that the sound was so different than anything you didn't sound like poison you didn't sound like Soundgarden. you were just these guys were so different that it kind of made you almost immune to that and then you know, it was such yeah. a you know fantastic sound. Um, when, from, you know, you read a lot of the autobiographies and things like that. Um, were you guys able to hold on to kind of some of the, what would be now the royalties that would, you know, be making money in the commercials? Or was that all, at this point, record company profit?
0: Well, the, uh, yeah, I think, I, I don't think we ever really recouped so we still owe them
1: money. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, you know the irony in music. And it, you, I know a lot of bands, especially the metal bands, seem to go back and do like a re-recording of their greatest hits. And people are like, why are they just cranking out another record of their greatest hits? It's because Atlantic Records owns the recording that you're hearing all the time when you hear it, and they don't get anything. I was always just curious if that you know.
0: Oh yeah, they they, they did a greatest hits of Rusted Root, and. Um, I forget when that came out, but that, I didn't know anything about it, and I just saw it in the store one day, and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, it's probably, you know, at least, it, you know, probably, you know, in the, in the commercialization of the songs and things like that, will get, you know, people interested in the band will still get them to come see the band today, which is, you know, ultimately the only way any band is making money today is off of a live show. You know, Right. So. So that's fantastic. Well, Michael, uh, again, you guys are doing a show at Station Square. Um, Always, you know, fantastic to see a show down at Station Square in that arena um, down in there, the beautiful view of the city, and I'm sure it's, you know, got to be special for you doing a show at home. Uh, And you guys are going to be really doing, hitting all over the uh, United States this summer, so we look forward to catching you out on the road, too.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be a good summer for us.
1: Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time, man
0: yeah thank
1: you appreciate it alright a big thank you to Michael of Rusted Root again they're going to be doing a show Hard Rock Cafe in June uh, so check that out we're going to be turning to another artist who's coming through Pittsburgh in June the artist's name is Pete R.G. Uh, Pete has got a new album out called Tender Souls a really cool album uh, to me it kind of reminded me of uh, somewhat of the early 90's U2 uh, music so uh I had a chance to talk to him he's a producer a musician and uh a really interesting guy. So uh, we're going to go into that interview. He's playing at Mr. Smalls on June 13th. So you can get your tickets now. Uh, visit Mr. Smalls, the Funhouse, house, uh, for information on the tickets. Tender Souls is available now. So let's get into that interview with Pete R.G. My pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Pete RG on the line. How are you doing today, Pete?
3: I'm good, John. How are you?
1: Doing fantastic. You are coming in to do a show at Mr. Small's uh, in June on the 13th. Uh, you're sporting an album you've had out for a couple months now, so I wanted to get uh, you on the show, talk to you, introduce you to the audience who may not be familiar with your work, either as a solo artist or, you know, your former band. Uh, so I want to start out. You... Um, your parents were Greek in origin, and, and you grew up in the U.S. Um, and they were musicians. Um, how did their influences kind of spill into what you listened to? Did you listen to a lot of like traditional music growing up as a kid, or was it mostly American rock and roll?
3: I was mostly American rock and roll. Uh, you know, everything from you know their their favorite stuff like the Beatles and mm-hmm. Stones, and you know stuff in the seventies and all the way up to, you know, taking me to my first concerts when I was a kid to see, like, U2 and Bruce Springsteen in the 80s and 90s, and uh, it was primarily that, but at the same time, I did primarily, my, my mother's actually American, but my father's a Greek immigrant, and I, I really only grew up with my father's family, and pretty much every weekend, we were at my grandparents' houses, as, you know, most good Greek families uh, like to do, and uh, there was always a lot of Greek music playing, so there was a, a strong influence there as well. Some of my favorite artists like George Deladas and, uh, Hades Alexiou, they're, they're, uh, Greek artists. They're, they're, a couple of my favorite artists period.
1: Now you, you went to college out East, uh, in Pennsylvania actually, uh, and then returned yeah. back to Venice. Um, I would be remiss not to ask you what drew you to Pennsylvania when you came from Venice Beach? Was there anything in particular? Uh, well,
3: I, I was, You know, I wanted to go to school in the East Coast. I was born and raised in in Los Angeles, in Venice Beach in particular. And I I was in a fortunate position where I could, you know, pick some different colleges I wanted to go to. And I really wanted to go to school in in, uh, New York or DC. But my parents, you know, kind of pressured me to go to one of my backups uh, in in the countryside because they thought I'd maybe go to a a big city and kind of disappear on them. And so really the only one that fit that bill that I applied to was was F&M, Franklin and Marshall in Lancaster. And uh, so I reluctantly agreed, and it and, uh, turns out I got there. I loved it. I loved everything about it, from the college to the local community. Uh, it's it's an excellent music community there, too. So uh, it was kind of uh, something I stumbled into, but I'm really, really thankful for it.
1: You, know, was, you, you didn't start the band last December until later in the 90s. Um, were you involved with music, you know, from the, the post-college world to the, you know, kind of pre-rock life?
3: Yeah, I, I was. I mean, really what happened was I was always playing music as a kid because both my parents, again, were, were, were musicians, but I never I never really took it seriously. And I, and I did excel at it in school. I was in the band. I was always, you know, first instrument or whatever I was playing or even singing. But I, again, I didn't take it seriously really until my senior year of high school, and even more so when I got to college, because like you know, like everyone else who goes to college, you got to get a get a get a, a day job to you know have some spending cash, and I right. was either faced with uh, the library or, or playing in a cover band, and uh, you know clearly the latter was more promising, so I took that, and uh, you know within a year or so, of that I was writing a lot of songs for the band. I started another band. And uh, when I finished college, I, I returned to LA, and I uh, took those songs, recorded some demos, and I was offered a, a publishing deal. So it, it really, I never went out into uh, the, the non-musical
1: world, so to speak. Yeah, so you're one of the lucky individuals that have been making a, making a livid of it. Well, I think sometimes when people see your tour schedule, they may argue that it's not, not work. But uh, um. <laughs>
3: well, I, I try to tell people what it's really like it's a lot of fun but it's a grind yeah
1: yeah it's more work than i think anyone can imagine it and no matter what level of success you know you you, you dream of the guys yeah. you know they get to go to the shows and limos and then play in the big arenas but i think it might even be more stressful for them um when you were doing oh, no, cover, no. cover songs you know uh, you and i would have gone to college in, in roughly the same era um was it the REM and replacements type of music, or were you, what kind of music were you doing in cover bands prior to?
3: It was all different types of stuff. There was REM replacements, and then there was oldies uh, stuff. You know, doing songs like uh, Dua Diddy or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, uh, Satisfaction by the Stones, and you know, and then maybe some some Radiohead songs. So it was it was a a, a big blend of top forty, and then also maybe. Semi obscure lesser known songs that were more part of the, the what would become the indie scene, right. um, you know, and so wh- whatever suited our tastes and our and, our, and my singing style because I was the primary singer, so uh, and that, that was cool though because for me actually it opened me up to a lot of stuff that I hadn't been listening to, mm-hmm. and it also really pushed me to to cons- well as, at that time as I mentioned you know uh, before I, that's when I started really writing. So it it allowed me to not just, you know, pick from a sliver of my favorite artists that I was sort of, you know, stealing from to get started as a writer. I was looking at a whole swath of writers and styles and approaches.
1: Now, as a singer, you have a a pretty more of a baritone voice. Um, You know, on the radio, I always am kind of envious of all those guys with the you know the high tenors and you know those kind of voices to those notes. how did that impact your singing? I mean, is that kind of where your natural register is, or can you get high? To, you know, to do some of those type type of stuff, or, or how does how does your voice kind of uh, good. fit into that?
3: Yeah, good question. My my voice has influenced my approach tremendously. I'm um, I mean, in fact, I'm a, I'm a bass, so mm, for okay. me, even singing singing low tenor stuff is a struggle. Mm. Uh, I mean, look, I can get those notes, but I'm definitely not. In my sweet spot when I go up there, so I, I do that sparingly. You might hear me do it more live, just sometimes because of the emotion of the moment, or because perhaps it's a situation where I feel, you know, uh, my voice needs to sort of, you know, get above the noise of the band, so to speak. Right. Uh, but it was an interesting thing for me because, you know, with last December we were we were with a major label for a while, and one of the things that they tried to do, the they being the the executives at the label was to get me to sing higher and, and in fact at one point they sent me to work with one of the top vocal coaches in uh, in Los Angeles and I worked with her for several weeks and, and after really after a couple weeks she, she called up my A and R guy and she was while I was there she was screaming at him and she's like He's a baritone if not a bass and, and his voice is beautiful. Why are you trying to get him to sing high and sound like everything else, everyone else? let him sing low and be more unique and so I, I went down that path and it was actually it made me feel a little insecure for a while there but once I regrouped and and accepted the fact that you know I have this low voice we, I started singing and writing songs and recording them appropriate to my voice so it, it would really feature it and as well as sort of frame it in the best way.
1: Yeah I, I have to admit it, as someone as a kid I grew up in and the only thing I could ever sing in the right the right way was like but bowser kind of stuff from Sean na because my voice my same voice was so low <laughs> i'm gonna have to put your you know your right. cd in the car to, to drive around to because it's you're absolutely right i mean in so much of the world you know in modern music you, you mentioned you know you too uh, you know for example you know he hits notes that i can't dream of um you know and yeah just, yeah you know i'm always envious of those little guys that can sing real high or you know the big guys i like know i know can sing real high but, um,
3: I'm not even a big guy. I'm like I'm like 150 pounds. Yeah, so I'm I'm not even a big
1: guy. You're an anomaly. I don't
3: know what happened.
1: Yeah, that's okay though. I <laughs> right. mean, it, it's certainly you know it's it's interesting to listen to it. I enjoy it. Um, it um in it your vocal coach? I think hit the word. It is so unique, and I think that makes it, uh, you know, really. And you listen to the style of your music. It it has such an atmosphere to it. You know. I don't know if it's even the right yeah, technical term to it, but it certainly blends and really jumps off the page as something unique. Um, yeah, a, thank as, you. I appreciate that. As a guitarist, um, were there particular you know guys in the, in you know your formative years or in the nineties during the you know kind of the Seattle scene that you gravitated towards as a player? I,
3: I was immediately drawn once i started playing guitar uh which was you know my my senior year of high school um i was immediately drawn to the more ambient and textural guitarists Mm -hmm. um in particular you you know uh, the edge that's you know he's probably my hero but also you know uh jimmy page is a huge influence uh i forget forgive me the, the the guitarist for for radiohead so more of the textural guys, mm-hmm. not too busy. They were, they were my favorite ones as far as influencing me and in what I would do. Th- that said, you know, guys like Van Halen, you know, Jimi Hendrix, uh, and there are countless others. I love their playing just as much. I just, it's not my thing, and I, I couldn't even begin to touch that style.
1: Yeah, and, th- and that's important to realize, too, any more than, you know, not being able to sing tenor. Sometimes I think, you know, people strive uh, present company included I want to be like Joe Satriani so bad that I'm going to forsake anything yeah. and you know you shy away from you know fantastic music that say Johnny Marr had made or, or you know things exactly. like that exactly um, so yeah I mean I
3: like look I'll, I'll, I'll crank up you know Panama by Van Halen and I'm just going you know I'm, I'm rocking out and thinking wow I wish I could do that I just even for like two bars but mm-hmm. it's it's not in my fingers you know
1: yeah, well, t- take comfort then. Eddie probably can't hit notes as low as you. That yeah.
3: <laughs> this is true. Maybe we should. I should contact him and see if he wants to do something really friendship.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> no, let me ask you: In your solo shows, do you go into the last December catalog at all, or is this strictly you know material no. The post?
3: No, it's it's strictly uh, new uh, material.
1: Yeah. Okay, and the album uh, "Tender Souls." Um, That came out late last year, correct? Correct. Yeah, it
3: came out in the fall of 2016.
1: Now, um, can you talk about, I mean, is the show going to be primarily focused around that album, or um, how do you kind of break out the set list?
3: Uh, Actually, that's a a great question, because we are in the middle of uh, working on a new album that we plan to release in the beginning of 2018, uh, while we're we're working on this, while we're still supporting Tender Souls, and we mm-hmm. will continue to support Tendles, Tender Souls uh, until the end of the year, but we will be bringing uh, three to five new songs uh, on this tour, May, potentially more. We we have about a dozen that we've uh, mm-hmm. we've tracked and worked up really well. Uh, the recordings aren't complete, but the songs are in, in more than enough shape to bring them on the road. So, uh, I would say at least a third, if not half, the set will be uh, will be new material, which is right. which is really exciting for us.
1: yeah, it certainly is now. do you when you do that and 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 you play a song you know that isn't on you know sound on tape anymore. it's not going to be on tape. It's going to be on a hard drive somewhere. But when you do right. uh, new material live, um, how much of that does it influence what? then becomes the final product i mean do you do you gauge audience reaction to certain things and kind of take that into consideration or is it just getting it down
3: no no that that's for sure it does because and that's in fact uh one of the one of our goals uh with bringing these songs out was that you know we we, we have a few of the tracks that we've cut where we know you know that's what we're going to stay with till the end. That those those mm-hmm. versions are, are going to be the ones that will make the record. But we have several songs which we feel fantastic about, but we also feel like bringing him to rehearsal studio and then taking them on a stage and and playing them is, is going to probably pull out some some extra you know oomph from them. Be it melodic changes, energy changes, whatever it might be, it definitely. You know we'll push this as a band more. so our plan is is that week immediately after we get back, we're going right back into the studio and we're gonna take what we've learned and capture it uh, quickly so that we're still on that that rush of of the stage as well as the the, the learning that we'll have done from playing those songs in front of people yeah, so that's that's uh, gonna be a play a big factor
1: yeah, I love the idea I, I know just i always thought of, of an example of that being you know you listen to the studio albums of the ramones uh, and then i had the opportunity yeah. to catch them in the 90s and, and i was like my god they're so much better live um you know why doesn't someone yeah. just record this and strip away the audience and, and i think it was you know some of it was a little bit heavier live it was faster live um mm-hmm. you know, when you go back and you listen to like ramones you're know, like this is kind of flat give me local live um you know so that's it's really great yeah. to kind of take what you learn and, and you know you know i like the idea of meeting yeah, you know,
3: going back i i do too and this is something we planned on <clears throat> excuse me one uh it was interesting a couple nights ago i was uh flipping around looking at guitar pedals on on youtube mm. and i came across on the, the sidebar on youtube i came across uh an interview with Daniel Anwa, the producer of U2 for Mm -hmm. Joshua Tree, Octone Baby, and the likes, and some of the recent stuff, and um, they were asking him what it was like working with U2, and he said, you know, their their process, so to speak, excuse me once again, asked him about their process, so to speak, and uh, he said, well, generally, we we work in the studio first, we get our our ideas together, perhaps get the songs pretty well scripted, he said, but then I take them to a, a big stage you know rehearsal studio of some type and I get it let them get really loud and really raucous he said because that's how they take the songs to another level sure. and it was it was it was cool to hear him say that because that's what what our plans are that's what we're we're going to do and and you know I can already see from just a couple of rehearsals we've had with the songs that oh yeah we 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 set we wrote some great templates in the studio, but now we're bringing them to life.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I love the idea. Um, Again, you're going to be in town on the 13th doing a show with Mr. Smalls. Uh, I want to wish you guys the best. Again, the new album is available now. Well, I shouldn't say the new album. The current album is available now. uh, And we look forward to seeing you when you get to town, Pete.
3: Thanks, John. I'm looking forward to it, too. I I, I really. uh, It's been a while since I've been to Pittsburgh, but I always, always loved it there, so I'm looking forward to coming back and checking in for a
1: day alright rounding out the show for today we have a new band uh, not necessarily a new band but uh, new to the show Lost Leaders they're going to be doing a show on June 6th at the Fun House of Mr. Smalls um, this features Brian Isaacs uh, who is a name you might be familiar with, and also Peter Cole, two musicians who met up in the state of New York. Uh, Byron is a uh, former member of the Levon Helm's band, and also is the current touring bassist for the Lumineers, who will be in town on June 7th. As many of you know, it's by Heinzfield with you too. So Byron is doing uh, June 6th at uh, Mr. Small's, June 7th at Heinzfield. So couldn't resist the uh, temptation to ask him about just. Playing two different scale shows in the span of 24 hours. So, hope you find that conversation interesting. We're going to play a little bit of Lost Leaders uh, from their new EP, and then we'll check out that interview with both uh, Byron and Peter. Mm-hmm. gentlemen my pleasure to welcome this show from the band lost leaders we have peter and byron on the line how are you doing this morning guys
2: great
4: good man how, how are you doing?
1: doing i'm doing very wonderful i appreciate you guys calling in uh, kind of early in the morning you guys are in ohio um obviously you're coming to Pitts, pittsburgh and pennsylvania here on the 6th to do a show with mr small so wanted to get a chance um had a chance to listen to heavy lifting um familiar with the band and. Um, want to get a chance to introduce our audience to you guys before you get here kind of get people excited to show so um can we talk a little bit about how the band came together i know obviously uh byron you've got some side work you do um you know the, the people might recognize yeah. but we'll get to that in a bit um how did you two kind of meet as musicians
4: well i had uh a, I used to do a jazz thing years ago um and i had a trio a jazz trio that used to be organ with organ bass and uh me on guitar and a drummer and we had a weekly gig down in soho in new york and um every now and again when the organ player couldn't make it i'd have to hire a bass player and uh byron came into my orbit that way uh, because i hired him to play bass on this trio gig and you know you know we really hit it off and connected musically and that that's that's where it wasn't the beginning of lost leaders but it was the beginning of our musical connection. Right.
2: Yeah, because we used to hang out and we realized that... Because uh, we'd hang out and listen to rock records. And we were like... We looked at each other one day and we we're like, man, let's do a rock band. Like, what are we doing in this jazz stuff for?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's too that's
2: kind of how we started writing songs. And, and we decided to, like, you know,
1: go rock. <laughs> now, when you met as jazz musicians, obviously, you had some sort of connection. Yeah. But when it came to rock, were you guys kind of in the same um kind of same set of influences when you when you met or was it coming from two different palettes well i I
2: think with with any good well yeah i mean with any good band like you know you've got um you know a lot of different influences you know but then a lot of crossover as well you know so we really bonded over over like you know uh british rock especially and like the kinks and the who and uh and uh, Pink Floyd, especially, and, and of course, Radiohead, and, like, you know, and then, um, you know, I had been listening to a bunch of, like, earthier, like, old, you know, um, like, weird old blues records and, and like, sort of, you know, kind of Americana stuff, you know, even, like, some bluegrass and some, you know, like, that stuff. And then Pete had a whole other side of stuff that he listened to, like, uh, you know, he was more into, like, uh, Iron Maiden. And what what were some of your other favorite bands that you introduced uh, me to, really, that I had never ever checked out?
4: Yeah, gosh, I'm not even real sure. But, yeah, I mean, I certainly listen to a lot more punk and metal than, than, uh, than Byron. But, you know, I think the common core, for sure, is the sort of, you know, the big five, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, and then, you know, all the evolutions of that over the years. Mm-hmm. But it definitely took a minute, you know, for... To distill it down to what lo- became Lost Leaders because we we did a lot of things before we did Lost Leaders and Lost Leaders began really in 2011 in Levon Helm's barn because mm. Byron at the time was playing bass in the Levon Helm band and Levon let us come up there and and uh, stay we got to live up there for a bit and, and record kind of around the clock we had uh, ongoing access which was pretty amazing yeah, yeah. and we. That that was that was really the genesis of what Lost Leaders is, you know, and it, it started in in a loosely Americana kind of a place, um, you know, but very rapidly uh, evolved into you know more of like the British influence. I think that that uh, Byron was discussing. I mean, to my mind, that's what I see it as: is a fusion of like you know Americana music with a more sort of you know Brit rock sensibility. Yeah, and I,
1: and I like that it it took probably three or four minutes to describe the sound because that to me says this is something kind of you know original and unique um you know you know a lot of musicians hey. and the artists you know what is your band well we're doom metal or we're seeing you know, speed metal you guys you know very you know good explanation and it kind of paints a picture you know in the mind of what you're going to hear before you hear it for those who aren't familiar with the music yet
2: now um just we need a great st- rock writer to give us a name. You know, give, give our genre a name.
1: Yeah, you got. You got to.
4: You have to invent a. Uh, invent a tagline for
1: it. You know.
4: You, you said. Yeah.
1: You, you said you wanted a great rock writer. I write, but not great. So, I can't. <laughs> I can't help you there, guys. Um, so when when you get together, um, do just the two of you do the writing, or do do one of you kind of write lyrics and other write melodies, or how how do you break that up?
4: Well, it, 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 there's no one formula I mean, we write together and separately um, And sometimes one of us will have a pretty fully formed song In which case But the other always puts a stamp on it in the end Either via production or Suggesting some tweaks lyrically or mm-hmm. musically And then sometimes one of us might come in with a half an idea You know what I mean? And then we sort of flesh it out together mm-hmm. Um so there's no one set method.
1: Okay. Now, um, when when you're writing, you know, and you guys have this vision in your head, do you do you know, I know sometimes songwriters can spew out things in, in all kinds of different genres. Do you have material that you kinda, you know, collectively come up with and say, you know, this really doesn't fit the mold of what we're trying to do with this? Let's, you know, maybe put that on the shelf, you know, for the box yeah, set sure, twenty years from now. Um, how how do yeah, you know I've often wondered about that because you you build in essence bands build a bit of a brand um you know and if you came out with the Steve Harris kind of baseline um maybe it doesn't fit with the album I mean and I was always curious about that do you have kind of a not lost leaders' pile when you write
2: yeah sure yeah I think there's there's always like a backlog of uh of the sort of like you know the stuff that just it's just it goes in the other box you mm-hmm. know. We try to... We we do try... But, you know, in general, we'll always play those songs for each other, you know, and we'll say, I don't know if this is for us, but just in case, you know, you get some idea about it, here's this song that I just came up with, or this idea that I just came up with. And sometimes, you know, I get surprised when I bring something to Pete, and I'm like, I don't know if this is for us, really, but... and, And then he'll say, I know what we could do with that. What if you actually slowed it way down or sped it up and, like, like... I could imagine this whole other kind of production idea on it and I'm like Mm oh oh wow and then it makes me rethink the entire thing Mm -hmm. and uh and it's transformed then you know by 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 his vision into a lost leader song or vice versa you know but a lot of times they're just songs that just end up the little bastard children and you know maybe they go into the um that like you know possible solo album down the road kind of box you know? but uh, you know I don't know it's like not every song really needs to see the
1: light of day right or, or you can save it for the 30th anniversary release of heavy lifting and you'll have a whole second disc <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: and, and yeah it, we do the we do the box set the mono release the
2: 180 gram vinyl with the booklet and all that, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The
1: Canes and Dentures uh, <laughs> album, right. By the 30th anniversary of this one, I'm sure you'll be doing the um, uh, chrome cassette release. will be the Will be the real prize <laughs> on, on that yeah. <laughs> yeah, one. You know, yeah, they're going to make they're going to make a comeback for sure. It. Get your yeah, pen- get your pencil ready when your tape deck I eats it, it again exactly yeah TDK will rise again um, but live um, you know being the, the band being just kind of a, a duo what do you bring other musicians in or do you guys kind of pull this off with just the pair of... well,
2: we do well, yeah, duos but we have these great musicians uh, around us, you know, just from over the years, like we've met, you know, so many great musicians, and so we do. We, we're we have an embarrassment of riches with uh, with like just the, the sort of like pool of musicians from whom we can draw, you know. Um, uh, and right now, there are a couple of young fellows um, that uh, that we've been playing with from the, the upstate New York area, mm-hmm. uh, a drummer named Lee Falco a keyboard player named Will Bryant. Okay. And these guys are actually now gonna be spending the summer touring with uh Donald Fagan as okay. the night Flyers So uh you know so we don't have them for now but uh, but you know Pete and I can always do our duo version. I, I think yeah, I mean for me I, I prefer the whole band. I mean it's it's, sure. it's rock music, it's supposed to be a band, you know.
1: Yeah, but it's it's kinda cool. I imagine it's kinda I mean, I think I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. What were you going to say? I, I always thought it looked fun when you watch like a, a band like uh, the Black Crows, or uh, I always think of Government Mule, where they pull musicians in for two or three nights. That, that sometimes has got to infuse some energy having, you know, the guys with you, and then doing some shows, which is the two of you should be keeps it fresh, I imagine. Yeah, so,
4: well, it's, it's they're, they're, they're two different dynamics. I mean, the cool thing, see, the duo. You need to have both just for logistical reasons. So, you know, sometimes we, the money just isn't there to tour it mm-hmm. with a band, and um, you got to do it as a duo. But what's cool is that since that's really the essence of what Lost Leaders is, it all comes from, you know, our musical connection. So being able to trot it out live in that form is essential. I mean, you got to be able to do that. But, you know, when circumstances allow it to have a full band, I mean, you know, there's a whole different energy and a whole different dynamic that happens with that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I like that a lot too. And I'm weary, I'm weary, not weary, wary, I should say, of, of having too many permutations of what we do only because I feel like it starts to get a little bit diluted. You know what I mean? So like, sure. I, I kind of like having like, you know, the band version and the duo version. And we're pretty consistent with the with the players we try to use. Well Lee, Lee and Will played on, on heavy lifting on the record.
5: Um, okay.
4: and uh, you know, we really we try to keep that together. Um and uh so I think Donald's out for like eight weeks or something, so for August and September they'll be off the off the table. But um Lumineer's tour doesn't even end until when did that end? The early September I think. So it's you know, we're gonna be yeah. a little limited by that anyway, so
1: you know Yeah, and that um, that's certainly i guess a question from you byron um you're going to be doing mr smalls on the sixth and on the seventh you've got a little gig at the football stadium how is that Yeah, a little dynamic? opening gig yeah yeah how <laughs> does that dynamic i mean does that is one more intimidating i mean you don't see a lot of bands or musicians even doing you know a, a not a small venue but a, you know a more intimate gig and then a totally just kind of mind-blowing crowd is that do you have a. Presence? You know, man.
2: I, I I have found, and I you know, I remember reading interviews where, where people would say this, like rock stars that I yeah. you know idolized would say that I never believed it. They were like, oh no, the bigger the crowd, the easier it is, hmm. you know. And I like as far as being nervous or something, like man, the more faces there are out there, like the the sort of less intimate it is, and so it's it's just less. Dangerous to you, know? <laughs> like to me. The most frightening thing is like sitting in a living room with a couple of people trying to play a song to us. Right. Like that, that is terrifying, you know. Um, but yeah, I'll step out like into a sta- full stadium, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and that's okay. It's like in in a way, I don't know why. It's it's just. It's just easier, and it seems universally to be so. I've heard it said over and over again. I never believed it until I was standing up there, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is fine, this is great." But man, a small club is uh, like that gets exciting, like you know. And at this point, I like getting nervous. Like nerves are like you know that's it's it's another source of fuel for you, you know. And so like I'm you know in a way I I know I'm going to be way more nervous about Mister Small's than I am about Heinz Field.
1: <laughs> you know? Now, is some of it, I mean, the fact that when you look out in the audience, you know, you're seeing faces and you kind of make that almost, you know, even though you're in a room full of a couple hundred people, you're still making kind of one-on-one connections. Does that have something to do with it, do you think? As opposed to just a massive humanity. That's, you know?
2: part, of, that's part of like what's happening psychologically. I think in a way when there's just that many people... Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's almost just like your your own, um, it's almost like your own culpability for, for however you're coming across is just obliterated, it's like, it's just, it's all, like, I i don't know, it's like, I just, you just don't get subconscious in that, you know, with that, like, it's, it's so strange, I and it, it, it's hard to explain why. I mean, definitely part of it is, but the thing is, you have people in the front row, you can look at eyeball to eyeball. I mean, they're right there. at right. the same distance from you a lot of times that people are in a club, you know, especially if the club have, have, you know, happens to have a big, a, a tall stage, you know. Mm. But I, I, so I can't, I, I can't even tell you why. It's just, uh, it, but it really is like that. It's, it's just, it's, it's easy to get up on those stages with, um, with all those people. It's just like, it's more of a spectacle. You're like, wow, look at that. Yeah. You know, I'll say it's it's even easier when it's dark. Like, for for the, these shows with the Lumineers opening for you, too, like, we're going out there, and the sun is still up, and so you really see people. Yeah. And, you know, it's easier even when it's, when it's dark. And, like, so it's just this mass, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, that you, you can't even see. But the thing is, even still seeing them in broad daylight is easier than being in a small club absolutely and way easier than a house concert house concerts are the scariest
1: yeah no it's interesting you don't get I, I thank you for indulging my question because it's not often you get you know people who are doing kind of those simultaneously you know, you, you know you're, you're yeah. not going to ask Bono hey when you were playing in that guy's house the other week was that more intimidating than the Rose Bowl um, he's probably not doing <laughs> right. that kind of you know so I appreciate you indulging in that question um, yeah. so the show at, at the fun has a Mr. Smalls on the 6th um, do you guys have an idea like set list wise are you doing most of the new EP or are you kind of dipping back into the self Yeah.
4: both we'll probably do most of the well the, yeah the, the new EP is only six on so we'll certainly mm-hmm. have to you know go a little beyond that but we will do most of the new EP I think the only thing on that we're not going to do might be the last song The Righteous Path mm-hmm. um, but otherwise you know we'll uh, we'll touch all of that and and go back into the older stuff and there's a couple of newer songs too um, and we're always sort of working. Uh, Byron brought out a bass. You know what a Fender bass six is? It's basically like a, a regular six string guitar, but it's a six string bass guitar tuned okay. like a regular guitar. They look almost like a Strat. Kind of, eh? Okay. But but you, you, so you
2: could play it as a guitar, but it's a bass. But you know, it's Jack a Bruce of... played one, the Cream no, <laughs> for a is, while. Is There's this Great pictures
1: of it with one Is this tuned down an octave, still like a normal bass?
2: It's exactly yeah. like a guitar, oh, but okay. an octave down. So okay. yeah, so the low string is still an E, like a bass. So it's okay. You know, E A D G, just like a bass, and then it has a B E string
1: okay. like a
2: guitar, but you know, down an octave. but so all you can all down. And the strings are all close together so you can actually play low chords it's like just a baritone guitar but even a fourth below that so it's oh, awesome. you know yeah it's a cool so, it's a know, we're, fooling, thing, we're you know?
4: fooling around with uh, with that and you know we've been rehearsing in the hotel at night like just working up new stuff uh, for, you know for mr smalls and we're you know the, the Luminator thing definitely presents you know a few logistical challenges for for lost leaders so we're, we're just sort of trying to promote, you know, uh, the EP and, and do as much as we can while we're out, you know, uh, in the holes in their schedule. Um, and so uh, that's how, you know, the Mr. Smalls thing came about. And um, uh, but yeah, we're gonna, you know, we'll do a full set, and uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, working all this stuff up.
1: Awesome. Well, Peter, uh, Byron, I really want to thank you guys for your time. Again, you'll be at Mr. Small's on the sixth. That show, um, you can get tickets for that. Um, at Mr. Small's website and I'm sure it's on Ticketfly, etc. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining us and I wish you guys the best and uh, hope to see you when you get into town.
4: Thank, thank you, you, man. John. I hope so. Yeah. Come on to the show. All right.
1: right. All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. I want to thank Pete R.G., Michael Glubicki of Rusted Root and also Byron and Peter from Lost Leaders. All three bands are going to be playing in Pittsburgh in the month of June. You've got Rusted Root playing at Station Square on the 23rd. Pete R.G. is playing in the 13th at Mr. Smalls. And on the 6th, uh, Byron and Peter of the Lost Leaders are going to be playing at Mr. Smalls. And as I mentioned earlier, Byron is going to be playing Heinz Field on the 7th. So uh, really kind of a eclectic group, as I said, at the top of the program. Um, I think the only thing they really have in common, these bands, is they all kind of defy traditional boundaries in rock which i think makes it sort of fun and interesting so i hope you enjoyed it you can visit us at ironcityrocks.com we are on facebook twitter instagram and youtube are all forward slash iron city rocks also you can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you let us know what you like about the show what you love about the show what you hate about the show or just otherwise want to vent about so we're here for you and we want to thank you and until next time have a great day Thank you.